Okay, hello everybody. Nice to see you again. So we start with the Metta Sutta. Then I'll talk a little bit. And then the highlight of the day will meditate a bit as well. Or maybe the Metta Sutta is the highlight as well. (laughs) Wrong side. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm, wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be happy, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be happy, let none deceive another, or despise any being in any state, let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another, even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child. So with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outward and unbounded, free from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated and lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain his recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to false views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being free from all sense of desires, is not born again into this world. Have you ever 
noticed something strange about the translation of this text. Oh, there's a couple strange things, but have you ever noticed that it starts off by saying, this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness? And then it says all the things they should train in. But if you're already skilled in goodness, why would you need to train in those things? Yeah? This doesn't make sense, right? One who is skilled in goodness should do all these things. Now, well, I'm staying here. At the, yeah, you, you wouldn't have, if you're already skilled in those, all those things, you wouldn't have to be reminded of them. And that's the thing with the Pali, actually. Uh, which is not properly translated. While I'm staying here in the uh, monastery here, I actually uh, have easier internet access than I do at uh, Bodhinyana, where it's very limited. have to walk uh, 20 minutes to even get there, and then it's only on at certain times of the day. Uh, so I'm catching up a bit of translation work that I'm doing um, I'm writing something and I'm also helping Ajahn Shivijato out with his translations. Uh, I've been doing that for a long time, sending corrections, suggestions, and he uses those uh, things as well. So one of the things, he also had skilled in goodness, and uh, I gave some arguments I won't give into you. Why well, it doesn't mean that, it means something who is, somebody who is skilled in understanding the meaning of what the Buddha teaches. Atta kusalena, atta means also um, the meaning of something. So, Atta kusala, kusala means good. Atta, the meaning, you're good at the meaning of the Dhamma. You understand the Dhamma. That's basically what it means. So if you understand Buddhist teachings, then you should do these things. That's what that means. And Ajahn Sujata adopted that translation. I think it makes a bit more sense. But I'm saying that because doing the translation things uh, a little bit more than I usually do. You, you get in that intellectual vibe that I'm a little bit of an intellectual person, I'm, some of you might also be. But uh, that can sometimes be a little bit, uh, I won't say destructive, but it can be a bit harmful to meditation because it's like a, a different, different way of relating to your mind. And when you, when I figure out translation things, I even think really, ah, oh, that's my idea, it's a really good idea of me, and start really identifying with those thoughts, you know, and really overly praising my thinking side, not in like a verbal way, but, you know, you could probably relate to some extent that you really start uh, having too much of a sense of self with the intellect, let me put it that way. And if you don't recognize that that is going on, you can get stuck in it. But I try to remind myself the Buddha's teachings of non-self. So I, this afternoon I start, of course I do meditation as well still in here. I'm not just translating all the time, it would be crazy. But So I start down to sit, sit to meditate and I recognize that my mind is a little bit more inclined to try and solve problems by thinking them out. Yeah, because I'm already in that mindset of thinking about it. And what I did was recognize how these thoughts, they are, the Buddha said, not mine. 
not me. They're just part of nature. They come and they go and they are in a deep sense not under our control. And if you relate to your thoughts like that, and just a part of nature, not really me, then your mind will become more peaceful straight away. Because you're not controlling what's going on. And you're not identifying so much with stuff that's going on in your mind. Because the, I know many of you are long-time Buddhists, maybe some uh, are you a long-time Buddhist in the back? Uh, quite new. Sorry? Only since last since I've been coming here. That's all. I've oh, okay. How how long has that been? It's about twelve months, maybe more. Oh, okay. Yeah, long enough. <laughs> so, because <laughs> sometimes uh, give a little bit of a deeper talk as well. So. Um, We, maybe, you, maybe it's a bit new to you, but most of you will know the Buddha's teachings of uh, not-self, to not identify with things. And we often, I see people relate to that quite intellectually. They can sort of understand what it means, um, it's a metaphysically, which means like in a sort of an abstract way, uh, externalize it anyway, but they don't really bring it to their practice. They don't really... Uh, feel what the sense of self means and what it actually, what the problems it is and the problems it creates. And in one of the suttas, one quote where Sariputta says, um, identification, or sometimes they translate conceit, is uh, an arrow, it's, it's painful, it's suffering. So this sense of self that we have, Sometimes we, we think about it very abstractly, but we don't realize that to identify with stuff is itself suffering. Just the sense of self is suffering. And that goes very deep. When your mind can get really peaceful, you can actually see when the sense of self comes up, it destroys the peace. The sense of self is itself suffering. And if you think about it like that, you don't want to <laughs> have that sense of self anymore because who wants suffering, right? Nobody, well, people do want suffering, but only because they don't realize that it's suffering. People, they crave all sorts of crazy things because they think it's happiness. The Buddha said, other things that people think are happiness are actually not so pleasant as they might think. It creates a lot of problems and, and suffering. And as Sai Buddha says, it's like a, an arrow, which means... Not not just an error, but error strike actually. It strikes you, it hurts. And if you look at identification that way, like when I was in my heart meditating, identifying with my thoughts, thinking I had such brilliant ideas, and that actually you don't want to have that attitude anymore because you feel like it's not nice, it's suffering. You know? And that is something you can apply throughout your meditation. This idea that the sense of self is just problematic. And also, 
that it doesn't really get you anywhere very much. The Buddha spoke about a lot of times about the five aggregates, just a bit of a technical word, but the five aggregates being without a self. But I'll simplify it a little bit, the five aggregates uh, basically means that nothing in the external world or including your body, which is external to the mind in a sense, is controllable and it's all part of nature. Like we sit here and be quiet for a moment. We hear the frogs outside. Can you, with an act of mind, make the frogs go silent? <laughs> no. Because the frogs are not part of you, you can't control them. The air conditioning, well, we could press the button, but it's not part of you. You can't control what's going on in the world. And it's the same with your body. Your body gets sick. Your body gets uncomfortable. Bamboo Sudasi is going to the doctor a lot because he's got this thing on his arm. And it is because the body is also uncontrollable. We cannot control it. Most people understand that that far. I'm not that uh, uh, teaching of the Buddha on non-self. They can get that. But then they still get upset when they get sick. <laughs> so they didn't really understand it. But even deeper, even in uh, more subtle things are not really under our control. I started by saying that we can't control our thoughts, for example. And if you sit in meditation, you might understand what I mean. Because if I say, hello, please tune in. You can't control people coming on time either. <laughs> this is fine. So you sit in meditation and you have heard from somebody that uh, it's nice to be quiet and peaceful inside. So you're like, okay, I'm going to stop thinking now. How long can you do it? Not very long, usually. The thoughts will just rush in. Some people are, have amazing willpower. They can get quite deep in meditation. Um, they can even force their thoughts out for a while, but that, that is not the right way to do it. Because then you're just using willpower, with, you're identifying with that willpower. So, you know, another sense suffering. And you don't go very deep then either. Um, because not only the thoughts are without a self, but also the Buddha said also the controlling part inside of us that we think we are in control of. It's actually not in control, I thought. Just stop identifying with that and just let meditation flow naturally. And at that point you can, because you're not interfering with it anymore. Sometimes people think they let their meditation flow naturally, but actually they're interfering all the time. <laughs> Only in very subtle ways that they don't really see yet. I know I'm talking a little bit random, but Ajahn Brahm often talks about just letting go, and it will happen naturally. And then people go and say, yeah, I am letting go, but it's not happening. <laughs> and that is because they're not really letting go deeply. Because you need to really let go of everything. Especially the sense that you are in control. 
and that is a very useful way to meditate. So people often talk about shall I do samatha or vipassana, which is sort of a distinction, um, not made that clearly in the suttas, but um, vipassana is like shall I do insight-focused practices or shall I do samatha, which is the more calm focused practices. But if you really have insight into this thing that I was just talking about, the absence of control, and if you do those insight practices, you reflect on non-self, and the result will be calm. And so there's not really a difference between the two. I think Chai used to say, Samatari Pasana are two sides of the hand. I never met him, unfortunately, but I read some of the books. Like, you cannot have one side of the hand. You always have two sides of the hand. So if you actually understand those kind of Buddha's teachings of the Buddha about oneself, you actually can apply them in meditation. That's what I'm saying. Very much. Uh, I said people sometimes use them very abstractly. They can think about it intellectually and sort of metaphysically, but they don't internalize it. But uh, I think it's a nice meditation tool to have to be able to just identify a little bit less with our lives and our meditation, the problems in our mind. I say problems in your mind, but as soon as you don't identify with your thoughts anymore, they're no longer a problem. <laughs> it's only a problem if you think it applies to you. Does that make sense? Or am I talking total gibberish? You know, it can only be a problem if it applies to somebody, really. It's just... If, if, if I just let the frogs outside just make noise and I don't mind, then it's not a problem. But if I start minding about it, like, oh, they're disturbing me, then it becomes a problem. So in your meditation, you start identifying with your thoughts, then they become a problem. And they actually create more thoughts as well. Because it's this very sense of identifying that underlies them uh, to the very core, actually. So if you start, stop identifying and just letting things be, it's just then you'll find peace. Just two ways of looking at the same thing, really. Letting go or stop identifying. It's really the same teaching, but I put it differently. Letting go sounds kind of nice, everybody likes letting go. Stop identifying is challenging because people like to identify with things. But really they're the same, same teaching. Because to let go of something, you have to realize it's nothing to do with you. Because it's just inherent in the mind that we cannot let go of something that we think is really ours, is really part of us. <laughs> so when people really identify with their thoughts a lot, they think that their thoughts, then they cannot let that go. But you might be able to realize that your thoughts are not yours. By seeing, seeing through that sense of self. Really two things going on, the thoughts and the sense of self. First the thought comes and then the sense of self afterwards says, ah, oh, that was my thought. 
they look really closely, that's the way it is. But it feels as if it happens at the same time anyway. That might be going a little bit too, too deep for today's meditation. But I would like to encourage you in today's meditation to just identify less in general with your, with your meditation. And don't take it so personally. Yeah. Don't take your life personally. I said before, today we had a little talk and I told a little story of my father who always drives his bike to his work 20 kilometers one way and 20 kilometers back and rain or shine, always he does it. Maybe if it's super snowy then he might take the car but it doesn't happen often in the Netherlands. So. But when I was a little boy, I was waiting um, with my family around the dinner table for my father to come home every evening and then we, when he came home he changed his clothes and then we would start eating. And when it rained I always felt really sorry for him because, you know, he was on his bike and all the rain falls on him, you know, and it just his, his small uh, little biker clothing that he had on, had on, he must be really cold and wet. So often when he came home, all the water dripping off him and he stepped onto the doormat, I would say, oh, why you so wet, Dad? Why don't take the car on days like this? Something like that. And you know what he would always say, without exception? Most of it misses. Most of the rain misses. <laughs> and that has been such a useful teaching in my life. He didn't mean it as a, like a wise teaching, but it was wise to me. Because sometimes when we are meditating, we we make this meditation of ours the most important thing in life, you know, in the universe. And we take it so, we make it such a big thing out of it. Like, oh, I have to be peaceful, oh, my mind is not doing, oh, my body, oh, I should be better meditated by now. I've been meditating for 20 years and still this stupid problem, you know. We make it so personal. And I want to encourage you to try and make it less for a person. Think about how big the universe is. How many people are there on this earth alone? Seven billion or eight billion or something? Billions of people. Why are you so concerned about that, that only little person? Why are you only concerned about Thomas, yeah? Why are you only concerned about Bill when you meditate? It's really, I'm just uh, projecting, but uh, it's often it's the case for me. I'm just concerned about my own meditation and my own being, but it is so, I don't want to make you feel uh, depressed, but we're all kind of insignificant, you know, in this universe, all these little atoms floating about in a, in a big, big universe, so why are we so concerned about that? It's a bit challenging, but it can be really peaceful if you think about it like that, just like most of the rain misses, most of the problems in the world are not happening to you right now. It's actually quite a peaceful idea, yeah, to look at it like that. But in meditation we think we, we have all the problems in the world because we forget. And one way to sort of approach the teachings of Anatta is by just saying, okay, I'm just part of the universe, I don't need to worry so much about this meditation tonight, you know. <laughs> it's just a 30 minute time frame in an eternally long 
samsara and it's just one person out of billions of people, it's just one planet, billions of planets. Why should I care so much about it, you know? Just let it be. Whatever happens, happens. It's all good. And I know it doesn't make sense to you, but uh, you might want to try it tonight. Yeah. I suppose that's all I have to say. So, no more thoughts. <laughs> okay. So we will meditate for uh, 30 minutes. I will ring the gong at the beginning and end, so you don't have to worry about the time. And uh, remember, most of the rain misses.
It's been almost half an hour already. Dear friends, before I ring the bell, I ask you to look inside yourself and see how much were you able to stop identifying with your meditation. Did it feel like most of the rain was falling on you? Or did it feel like your meditation was just part of a bigger whole as it were? Just something not to do with you. And what was more peaceful? Controlling? Getting frustrated? Or letting go and stop identifying? If you did find some moments of peace in this meditation, using some of my instructions, then just remind yourself of it. Recall how that happened. Because then you'll remember next time. You might be able to do the same thing again. Let's just spend one more minute in quiet, an hour in the calm. Meditation is really the most difficult thing in the world to teach. <laughs> because there's no feedback system. When I teach, I've been teaching for a long time in my life. I even taught in university. When I teach, for example, now Pali, the language of the Buddhist texts there, some of the Buddhist texts, then I can ask my students uh, please translate this sentence and I can see what they're doing and I can correct them right at the moment. 
and get immediate feedback. And I know oh, that I have to address this, now I have to address that to get that yeah. to learn. While at this meditation, I just say something, I don't know <laughs> whether people actually understand or whether it's been useful, whether it's been the right thing for that moment in time. So maybe these teachings today were not the right thing for you today. Yeah. In that case, I apologize, <laughs> and I should have actually set out, or should have set out front that when I teach meditation, you can do whatever you want actually in your meditation. I don't mind what you're doing. I'm just giving you some tips. <laughs> so uh, yeah, those were some tips. Or did I of use maybe at some point? And, uh, what do we do now? We do this sharing. Now let us chant the verses of sharing and aspiration. Through the goodness that arises from my practice, May my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue, my mother, my father, and my relatives, the sun and the moon, and all virtuous leaders of the world, may the highest gods and evil forces, celestial beings, guardian spirits of the earth, and the Lord of Death, may those who are friendly, indifferent or hostile, may all beings receive the blessings of my life, may they soon attain the threefold bliss and realize the deathless through the goodness that arises from my practice and through this act of sharing. May all desires and attachments quickly cease, and all harmful states of mind, until I realize Nirvana in every kind of birth. May I have an upright mind, with mindfulness and wisdom, austerity and vigor. May the forces of delusion not take hold, nor weaken my resolve. The Buddha is my excellent refuge. Unsurpassed is the protection of the Dhamma. The solitary Buddha is my noble Lord. The Sangha is my supreme support. Through the supreme power of all these, may darkness and delusion be dispelled. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. If you have any questions, maybe you can do it afterwards. Um, but uh, let's pay respect to the Buddha Dhamma Sangha first. And so that people who want to leave can do so. Arahang Sama Sambudom